We have come to the start of a new series, uh, the start of uh, a new set of, of uh, texts that we're going through. Like last year, we are going to go through something called the Narrative Lectionary. This is slightly different than uh, what a lot of mainline churches use, called the Revised Common Lectionary. Uh, the difference is that the, the Narrative Lectionary wants to take us through the entire arc of Scripture. And so, uh, we are going to start in Genesis. We are going to go through the Old Testament here uh, through uh, until Advent, which as if you remember last week is not as far as you might like to think it is away. Um, but, uh, and then in Advent, we'll take a look at some Advent-specific texts in Luke. And then after Advent and Christmas, we're going to be in the New Testament. The main gospel for this year is Mark. Uh, last year, it was Matthew. And um, as we go through, if you look at the weekly email, there is a link to get to the narrative lectionary, and you can actually see the entire scope of what we're going to go through. A lot of these texts are paired with texts in Mark, and so if you want to see kind of them set together, you can take a look at that uh, uh, after the sermon. I'm not going to uh, take a look at Mark today. We are going to start in Genesis, however. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. So you can go ahead and get your Bibles open to Genesis 2. Genesis is located right before Exodus and right probably after the table of contents. Um, So... Uh, Very, very easy there. And we're going to be looking at Genesis 2, which is sometimes referred to as the second creation story. You know, as we go through uh, Genesis, Genesis 1 is kind of the really well-known creation story where God speaks, and it is, and it was good. Genesis 2 focuses a bit more on Adam and Eve, and it focuses a bit more on who we are in relationship to God and to one another and into the world that God has created. And so we're going to take a look at that, and as we do, the main idea that I want to suggest to you and that I want you to see as we go through this, because there are a lot of ideas we could pull out of Genesis 2. A lot of things that we can bring to the table and may take us away from looking at the the cohesive whole of Genesis 2. So the main idea I want us to consider is that we were created for peace. We were created for peace. And we're going to divide it up like this. We were created uh, for peace with God. We were created for peace with one another. And we were created for peace in abundance. Three ideas. Uh, that we want to explore in how we were created for peace as we go through Genesis 2. So let's go ahead and start at verse 4 and go through the end of the chapter. Hear God's word as I share it with you. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, 
were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat, uh, eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is God's Word to us. Let's pray. Lord, we give You thanks for all that Your Word teaches us. We thank You for how it instructs that we are to have a relationship with You, and we give You thanks that it does instruct us that we, are, that we have a relationship with You. It shows us Your goodness. It shows us our… It shows us Your abundance. Show that to us now through Your Word. And strengthen my word during this time, for mine are empty, just a, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O oh God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. This is probably a text with which you are vaguely familiar. Most often, this text gets traction at weddings. It is most commonly used there. And uh, when we are talking about this section of Genesis, we might think about creation. We might think about marriage. But I'm going to suggest that less likely, when we come to this passage of Scripture, we think of this about a text about our relationship with God. My guess is that when we approach this text, we aren't thinking, we aren't coming to it and saying, you know, what can this tell me about the way that God has created me and the way that I am to be in relationship with Him? Sometimes perhaps we can even come to it with, a, with almost a science textbook kind of uh, attitude, and that is not the way we are to approach it. This section as it talks about that we are to have peace 
with God, I want to suggest, first of all, that it talks about two aspects of our relationship of God, and it all centers around verse 7. Then God formed a man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, let me make one clarifying statement here, because I'm going to go through a whole bunch of landmines in this text. Uh, And the first thing I want to clarify is that when I talk about peace, I am not talking about, like, most people when you have, when you talk to them about, I want to have peace in my life, perhaps they're talking about, like, I just want to be able to go home and watch, you know, Survivor in the evenings, or I just want to be able to go home and not have children screaming at me. I just want to be able to go home and not have to worry about the garden and so on. When we talk about peace, we might think about peace in those terms. But that is not the idea of peace uh, in the Old Testament. Peace in the Old Testament comes from the Hebrew word, and I think someone is, I know a few people you know it because we were in Sunday school together, but the word for peace in, in Hebrew is shalom. Now, as we think about that, that is an inaccurate translation. It's an inadequate translation. It would be like me asking me, what is the Grand Canyon like? And me saying back to you, the Grand Canyon is a big hole in the ground. I'm right, but I don't quite have the scope of it, do I? Peace is, is kind of inadequate to what shalom is. Shalom talks about wholeness. Shalom talks about holistic well-being. Shalom talks about harmony, everything being in equilibrium. And so when we talk about peace, we want to have that kind of idea in mind, health, wellness, Um, And so, as we come to this, there are two important aspects of our relationship with God that we learn about and that can give us peace. First thing that we see here is that we were formed from the dust of the ground. Now, at first glance, you might say, the idea that I am am created from the dust of the ground does not give me much peace. Thank you very much. But as we look at this, first of all, it, the, what I want to focus on is the word formed. This idea that God formed us from the dust of the ground. It gives this idea that God is a master craftsman, that God is a maker, God is creative. You know, when, have you ever created something? I don't care if, it, if you have created the most beautiful woodworking object or if you have created something out of Legos. Think about when you have created something. You know, there is a sense of pride and ownership that you can have over the things that you make. And like with Legos, if you don't like what you made, you just tear it down and you make something new, don't you? Until you get it just the way you want it. I have put some things together. I, back in our home in Rock Island, I made a cabinet out in our garage. Uh, and there are actually photos that Katie and I have of this thing going up because it was, it, we had a, a, a radon mitigation system and there were some, some things going up and we needed some storage space and we wanted to hide these, these, these pipes. And so I made this cabinet 
And oh, was I proud of myself at the end of it. And you know what the most proud thing I was of, of that cabinet? The doors. You know why? They opened and closed, and you didn't feel like they were made out of solid wood. That was impressive, huh? If you've never made doors, then you don't get what I mean. If you've tried to make doors, and you're like, wow. We have pride of ownership. We have a pride in, in the things that we make. And, the, and that is the sense that God is this great maker. And so we, we can resonate with the psalmist when he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And we know that very acutely when something goes wrong, how fearfully and wonderfully we are made. But there's also a sense uh, that what you created is not like you. You know, when we create things, there's, there's a distance. The, 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 um, the things that we make are totally at our whim. They are, they are, like I said, if they don't come out the way we want it, we can just rip it up and start all over again. Have you ever... Uh, I was bad in art in, in school, and so I looked at the things that I made in art class, and I'm like, you know, if we could just put these not in the, on the fridge but in the trash can, that'd be great. There's a distance, there's, a, there's a, a gap. And that's true about our relationship with God. There is a distance between God and us. Because God is our maker, He is our creator, He's He who formed us. And some of us feel that distance quite acutely. We are quite aware of the fact that God is very, very distant from us. And we can sense that gap. And it makes us feel apart from God. Like God wound us up and let us go and we have to figure out the rest. And it can cause a coldness in our relationship with God. God is other than us. We, we have to admit that. And we, we learn that from this text. God is other than us. God is above us and God is beyond us. And actually, that should bring us some relief because as we make messes of our own, it should give us relief that God is above and beyond us and can clean up our messes. You know, if, if the paint bleeds over a little bit, that's all right. I can pull out the turpentine and fix that. If things go awry, I can fix that. And that is the sense of God being above and beyond us. But that can also be a frightening thing as well. Did anyone read the, uh, the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, growing up? We can have that sense as well, that we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. And if this were the only aspect to our relationship with God, this would be a tough tough relationship. But there is a second part to verse 7 that we want to take a look at. The second action that we notice in in verse 7 is that God breathes into us the breath of life into our nostrils. We are sensitive to proximity, aren't we? That is why there is no one in the front pews. The only people in the front pews are the people who will get called up, the kids, thank you very much, and the people who are paid. Let's be honest here. Elders will sit here when, the, when, there are, uh, when we have communion because they are instructed to do so. 
And, if, and we can change people's anxiety and fears as we use proximity. Because you know what? I sat back there in the back row because I just don't want to... Hi, Carl. <laughs> and as we, as we use proximity, our, our anxieties can change. And you know, if you're looking at me, it's, that's fine. But some of the people in those first two rows might notice that, oh my gosh, now I can see them. <gasps> Ooh. And we use proximity, and we are sensitive to proximity. Now, as we think about that, think about how specific the Scripture is here. The Lord God breathes the breath of life into the nostrils. It's one thing for me to stand and be this close, isn't it? Now, if I were right up to your nostrils, hi again, Carl, um, (laughs) that would be a totally different thing, wouldn't it? That is very up close and personal. Why would the Scripture include such a detail? It's to give us that impression that God is not just out there. He is not just maker. He is not just former. He is not just creator. But He is also close to us, so close that He can breathe that breath of life right into our nostrils. Hi, I'm here. God is close. We opened this morning's worship with Psalm 8. I read the first two verses. Verse 8 captures this amazing aspect of God that He is close to us. Because in it, David asks this question, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and you've crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hand. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish of the sea, <clears throat> all that swim in the uh, swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth that you have done this. God is not just far away. We have talked at length about the, the change in our sanctuary here, switching the orientation. One of the things that is wonderful is the closeness the intimacy of this. One of the comments that I made is I can now hear the children in the children's area, and it's wonderful. It's delightful. And what verse 7 in Genesis 2 shows us is not just the distance and the majesty of God, but it shows us the intimacy that God desires to have with us as well. If the if the relationship is too much characterized by distance, it becomes too cold. Do you feel any affection for the federal government? Any warmth towards Congress? It's far away, isn't it? It does things, but it's far away. Do you have affection for your family? Warmth, love. If we're too cold, if we're too distant, we have no love. On the other side, if we're too intimate, we can lose that respect of who God is. 
that idea that He is Creator, that He is the Almighty, that He does sustain all things by His powerful hand. And so we hold both of these ideas together in our relationship with God. He is our Creator, but He also is the one who breathes the breath of life into our nostrils and is as close as we can imagine. If you were to characterize your understanding of God, where would you land? Between those two poles of of cold and distant and, and right up and intimate in your face, which, where do you land in that spectrum? Too distant? Too close? Are you Goldilocks? Just right? Because how Where we are on that will affect our relationship then with God and with others. We want to be right in there where God is almighty and God is close. But we're not just to have harmony with God, we're to have harmony and peace with one another. In all of creation, only one thing is noted by God as not good. What was that? It is not good that the man is alone. It is not good. And there are two words here that we need to unpack. Because God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. And two words that I want to unpack here are helper and suitable. Because they have, just like the word peace uh, has some meaning outside of what we would give it, helper and suitable have meanings outside of what we would give it as well. What do you think of the word when you think helper? Assistant, good. That's actually what the first thing I have on my paper is. Were you reading it? No. Perhaps you think of a child in the kitchen with you. You want to come be my helper? Someone who's not in charge? Usually not someone as skilled as you, are are they? You think of an assistant as someone who is able to come alongside and do some of the, the things, but they're not the main person. They are sometimes usually less than what we think of. But helper gets used ten times in the Old Testament. Ten times. Two of the times happen here in Genesis 2. And it refers to Eve. Two of the times in the Old Testament, it refers to humans in general, or a specific human, that I I will have a, a helper. But six times, the word helper, azer, gets used in reference to God. The majority of the time that helper gets used in the Old Testament, it refers to God. Now, God is, not, God is not the little child in the kitchen with us. God is not an assistant. God is not lower on the totem pole. God is not inferior to us, but God is our helper. And God himself is the one who said, I need to find a helper suitable to Adam. And so we need to look at the word suitable too because you're going to see this, this uh, idea really come together. Uh, what do you think when you think the word suitable? I kind of think, well, that'll do. That's suitable. That works. Suitable has a very particular definition in Hebrew. It means equal and adequate. The same and yet opposite. 
go the same and yet opposite? What are you talking about? (laughs) Sesame Street? The same and yet opposite. Things that are, that are equal and yet face each other at the same time. This pew is the same as that one, but they are opposite. Perhaps you feel at a time that your spouse is the same at you, yet they are totally opposite at the same time. I see you laughing, Bob. Perhaps you have a friend that you can relate to as, you know what, we know what each other is thinking, but yet at the same time, they are so opposite of who I am. They are equal parts. And so for, for God, what he wanted to create was something that was equal to Adam and yet opposite all at the same time. Someone who was, who was adequate and opposite and equal all at the same time. This was not an assistant. This was not someone lower than. This is not someone secondary to. This is someone equal and opposite to. And sometimes when we have that opposition, we can feel the tension and we can feel difficulty and we can feel fear and anxiety. There are times when I think, oh gosh, what's Katie going to think about what I did? She knows it. And yet, what we see in Adam and Eve is not emotional and mental anxiety, not, uh, not fear, but what we see is no shame between the two of them. And Adam and his wife were naked and felt no shame. That is not just physical nakedness. That is emotional. That is mental nakedness. That is total harmony between the two of us, between the two of them. Brokenness can make us shrink back from connectedness. You hear me on that? Brokenness can make us shrink back from connectedness. Well, this person said this to me, and I don't want to talk to them anymore. This person said this to me, or this person did this, or this person thinks this way, or I'm not sure what this person thinks, and so I don't even want to deal with it. And we shrink back from connectedness. We weren't created for division. We were created for connectedness. That's why division within the church is such a horrendous thing. That is why it is such an abomination in the church for us to have groups and factions and gossip centers and and back-channel communications because we are to be the people who exemplify the redemption of Christ and exemplify the connectedness of a family redeemed and put back together the right way, open and not afraid. What's the quality of our relationships? We were created for peace with one another. And finally, I want to suggest that we were created for peace in abundance. You know, as we look at this passage, we may look at it and say, 
you know, okay, I see the, the relational things, but can you tell us what's going on in verse 8 when we go through, like, the geography of the Middle East, but the Middle East that no one can verify? Can you please tell me how that relates? In chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Stop there. Period. Little Victor Borga there. Oftentimes, we want to rush to verse 17. We get to that, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, and we're like, but there's a but coming. But stop there. We need to camp out here. Look at the abundance that, that God is giving to Adam and Eve. You are free to eat of any tree in this garden. When you think of the garden, think of like the, the gardens of the Palace of Versailles. Think of a, an expansive English garden. Think of the hanging gardens of Babylon. Do not think, if you come to our house, do not think of our garden. It is much bigger than that. This is an expansive garden. Listen to it one more time. The Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. Look at that. The goodness, the abundance of the garden extends beyond the garden. That's what he's saying there. That's why, that's why God goes into the, the geography beyond, why Moses records it this way. It's not just the garden that's abundant. It is the lands beyond the garden that are abundant. Havilah, where they have good gold. Aromatic resin is also there. Onyx is also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. <coughs> it winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. You know that one, is what Moses is saying. It runs along the east side of Asher, and the, the fourth river is the Euphrates. There is an abundance here. It would be like me saying this, listen, you are free to sit in any chair in this building, just don't sit in this one. You can go into any room, you can go anywhere throughout the building, just don't sit in this chair. Why would you then? Well, because he told me not to. Because I looked at it and it was really kind of a nice chair, it was the best pew I'd ever seen in my life. We talk ourselves into these things. We want to get to that but, but you must not eat from this one thing in the midst of all this abundance. Go to the grocery store. You can get anything there. Just don't get the Chef Boyardee. Okay. Do we read that text that way? When the church gets into a scarcity mindset... When we as the people of God 
get into a scarcity mindset. When we start saying we don't have enough, there isn't enough, um, God doesn't allow us to do this and this and this and this, and we don't have these resources and we don't have these abilities and we don't... Do we understand that we've bought into the lie? That, that when we act that way, we are no different than the rest of the world. And in fact, the rest of the world sometimes understands the abundance of this world better than we do. Yes, we, do, we are not an 800-plus member congregation anymore. When does that change the abundance of God? When did that limit the grace of Jesus Christ? When did that change the call on any of our lives? Huh. Suddenly it's not our resources. And we see it throughout Scripture. Last week we talked about Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The abundance of the Garden of Eden. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says when, when he wanted that, that, that thorn taken away from him, God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. The 23rd Psalm, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in okay pastures. No! He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. His rod and his staff, he, they, um, they comfort me. You anoint with my head with oil. My cup has a few drops in it. My cup overflows. You poured and poured and poured, and you're making a mess all over the place because it overflows. We were created in peace, in abundance. What is our mindset? That I am inadequate, that I, that I don't have enough, that I can't do it, that I, don't, that I lack these credentials, that I lack this group of friends, that, I lack, that, that we lack the, the budget, that we lack the resources, that we, we lack... Or do we, like Paul, say, I have been in plenty, I have been in one, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because it's not about what I have, it's about what He has. It's not about my resources, it's about His resources. It's not about what I bring to the table, it's about what He brings to the table. And He has prepared that table, not just in a safe place, but in the presence of my enemies, and my cup is going all over the place. What is our mindset? Do we have peace with one another, with God, and in the abundance of all that God has given us. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks because you have given us all this, and then you give us all things in Christ Jesus. Remind us of that daily.
change our mindset, change our values, change our attitudes toward this world, and remind us that your grace is sufficient for us, that you have given us help that is adequate and equal, that you show us that you are a God of immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. In that mindset, send us out to show the hope of Jesus Christ to this world. Remind us that it's not just in John that, that, God so, that you so loved that you gave, but indeed right here in Genesis we can see that you so loved that you gave and you gave and you gave. Thank you. Help us to live into this. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.